0: I'm Erica.
1: Uh, I'm Dan. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Erica, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug?
0: I would like to plug staying inside. I've been doing it for 56 days and I'm definitely not crazy.
1: <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug?
2: uh yeah i I am uh so I did some work for the Hypnospace outlaw uh soundtrack. uh we're doing a new uh content release soon, I guess I don't know exactly what it is, but I've got a bunch of new tracks on there, so if you don't have Hypnospace Outlaw already, go get that on Steam or something
1: are are you are you seepage?
2: I'm not. I'm actually uh Barnaby's chair, uh the uh, uh alt folk group. I was actually a pretty late addition to the soundtrack, so I only had uh one song in it basically, but there's gonna be six or seven
1: more, I think, in the in the new release. So I think the new very cool
2: the new content release is gonna be really really big. And yeah, I'm very excited to be part of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I also have one song. Oh, cool. And four recordings of me and Ben Grew talking about soup. <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah, you were talking about um having listened to a couple of episodes, uh Jay is on a few, so yeah 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 They're, he's he's uh he's got some good stories
2: he does yeah, he's just a yeah he's a an incredibly nice guy, yeah, we met up in uh so my my actual job is in Germany, and he's in Germany now, so we met up in frankfurt and hung out for for an afternoon, and he's just like the nicest guy in the world, he really is he really is.
1: Are you guys ready for some topics? Yes.
0: I love topics. I'm
1: all about topics. Dan, your topic here is unreliable narrator in songwriting and or songs where the POV character is a, jer- a jerk. Yeah, this is actually something that
2: comes right off the Hypnospace Outlaw stuff. It's something I've been thinking about a lot about recently because we sort of developed this arc for that that band where the, the, the lead singer of the band, the songwriter of the band, is just a complete asshole who keeps running people off. Uh, and And then, writing songs about them being gone, so it's basically the the whole like ongoing arc of this character is basically this is a person who keeps being awful to people and then blaming them for when they leave him and so i I had to sort of get into this headspace of of writing songs uh where where the person writing the song is supposed to be kind of awful and not very self-aware about it and it just got me sort of thinking about how like that's that's kind of an uncommon voice
1: in songwriting i mean it's it's not unique but it's uncommon i would actually imagine that's the the vast majority of pop songs are written in that way oh really <laughs> <laughs> well not like not deliberately so not like oh yeah not with with self-awareness
2: yeah i think one of the things i think it's really interesting about that is um yeah, I think I think people expect a level of honesty from music.
1: Yeah, well, and not just that, but like the fact that it is music makes it feel more honest. The fact that it, it, it exactly it rhymes and sounds good in your ears.
2: Yeah, and it just really got me thinking about this fact that like um, we we sing songs along with the music way more often than we talk along with a movie. Yeah. Or things like people take music and and songwriting into themselves in a way that they don't with other art forms. And I think there's something really interesting about betraying that by having the voice you're parroting being dishonest.
1: Yeah, or or like uh, another way you can betray music is by like putting music in your commercial. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's a really true fact is the Meow Mix jingle.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: it speaks to me. It's
2: uh, a it it, it is interesting how we let just the kind of some of the crappiest music, like really just kind of define sections of our lives in a way that's kind of beautiful, you know, (laughs) Um, but it's like it's the the art takes on a significance to the the, the person that is actually sort of independent of the quality of the art. And that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to take it in a different direction than the Meow Mix thing and bring up, like, Nick, Nick Cave's Murder Ballads album, which is, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, like, based on, like, a tradition of, I, I don't know, it, it must come out of, like, the American South, but, like, it, they're ballads of love that are um, sung to the intended murder victim, or they're about, like, why the person murdered... Um, uh. a beautiful woman or drowned her or whatever it is. And that Nick cave made like a modern album of all of these things. And it's just right. really wonderful. But then I was thinking like, well, maybe meow mix is the same. It's like cats singing about the fish and the chicken that they're going <laughs> to eat and the, tuna and the lamb and like how they love them, you know, and they uh. dance on the little ship and they cross the ocean and they're thinking about the chicken. And I love those commercials.
2: Very good, yes. Uh, I love that. Meow Mix is a murder ballad. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I do think it's interesting how like you can write a political essay and someone might read it once and think about it for a day. Yeah. Or you can write a political song and if it's catchy, people will listen to it every day for a decade. Forever. Right. Forever, yeah. The fact that they're listening to it over and over again might have nothing to do with the actual – meaningful value of what you're having what you have to say about the politics right
2: yeah and it's 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 interesting like on that same note we let a lot of the a lot of the you know worst poetry in the world survive because it goes really well with a, a set of tones and <laughs> uh and a rhythm and that's that's really kind of interesting like even songs that i love even a lot of beatles songs you read them as poetry they're just awful um, it's uh it's a it's an interesting thing like how personal music becomes i remember um on this topic, like Ben folds when the the, the song "Brick" came out.
0: Oh God! Like, yeah,
2: he he caught a lot of hell for that I mean, because the narrative character was being kind of awful. And uh, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because like people don't feel betrayed by an actor playing a a, a mean role, but they feel betrayed by a song. Doing essentially the same thing. It's kind of.
0: I I loved that album, and I listened to it a lot um, when I was going through kind of a dark time, and I yeah. never put together that the the lyrics of Brick meant something. Like, I think I've sung it probably, like, a hundred times. And then Jenny Palladna, Topic Lord, um, had some tweet, (laughs) like, that album is fantastic except for Brick. Brick can die in a fire. And I was like, well, why does she hate that song? And I listened to it and I'm like, ooh, I've never thought about this before. And so, like, I would happily sing that song, you know? Uh, It's, like, very memorable for a time in my life. But it didn't mean anything beyond the the structure of the music itself. Um, because I just right. wasn't thinking about the lyrics.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm largely the same way. Like I I pretty much never actually pay attention to lyrics in music. I'm I'm deeply obsessed with
2: lyrics, with 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 my own and with other people's. And it feels like it's 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 like I'm I'm sort of very personally invested in a, a kind of art form that people explicitly disregard. <laughs>
0: yeah. I love that, like, as an adult, like, I listened to all of the songs that were popular on the radio when I was a kid, and I know all the lyrics, and I sing along to them again. And probably, like, it was terrifying as, you know, like, to be my parents and to listen to their eight-year-old kid being like, I've got two tickets to paradise! (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) like, what did that mean to me at the time?
2: (laughs) No, but that – sorry, that going, going back a little bit, that, that reaction to, to, to Brick that you were describing is exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, I don't think people would have that reaction to someone playing a person – like, they wouldn't have that reaction to an actor playing the role of someone who is being a jerk about his girlfriend getting an abortion in a movie. But in a song, it's got to – I mean, people suspect
1: like, – they expect this honesty out of it. I think it all. I think a lot of it is that the actors don't tend to write the movies they're in. And yeah. when they do, it's not – generally assumed that it's autobiographical. Right. But a singer-songwriter writing a singing a song in the first in first person it, there's a good chance it's autobiographical.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like and the, this is the re- this is the reason I was thinking about this in the context of this hypnospace Outlaw stuff is like I'm writing all this stuff as a jerk am i identifying parts of my own personality here
1: or will people identify that with me and yeah yeah that's interesting uh, on the other hand i don't think anybody thought that john lennon really set that girl's house on fire well <laughs> yeah you got to go to hyperbole right
0: <laughs> yeah just don't rewrite brick and you'll be fine
1: right
2: <laughs> i'm still i'm still mad at shaggy for uh, wasn't me though i mean on that same topic <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is that the is that that's the one where he like talks about cheating on his his wife yeah. and then claiming that it wasn't him and yeah, then yeah. in the last verse he talks about how this is a bad idea and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> right. Well, yes. Nobody remembers that part. <laughs>
0: I missed that. I missed that rejoinder at the end of that song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wonder if that that came in after like playtesting where like he played the song to people and they didn't understand that he was or maybe he wasn't even writing a a peon about monogamy, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so he had to add that last, uh, like adding a slash s at the end of it.
2: Yeah, quite possibly. So, do you know that they actually did that with uh, um, "I Want Your Sex" by a uh, um, was it George
1: Michael or Wham? It was just George Michael at that point, wasn't it? Wait, so was that's was the last verse of that song about how he doesn't really want your sex?
2: <laughs> no, so he, they actually, his, I don't know if it was a record company or what, but they made him go back and put in the line, sex is natural, sex is fun, sex is best when it's one-on-one. Oh, right. So that he was like, oh, you know, they, so that basically they could reclaim this thing as being about monogamy as opposed to just being generally promiscuous. Oh, weird. Yeah.
0: God, I have no idea, but I I do remember dancing as a 15-year-old to a choreographed version of that in summer camp. Right. <laughs> I think we knew at the time that that was going to upset everybody in the entire camp, um, and that's probably why we did it.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what what camp was it? Was it was it a themed one?
0: No, it was Camp Sloane. It was in Connecticut.
1: Uh, I was hoping it was like computer camp or Bible camp or something like that.
0: I did go to chemistry camp in high school. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> Chemistry camp was great. If you are are young, if you are a young person or you own a young person, send them (laughs) to a themed camp. It's definitely worth it.
2: It will do, yeah. Is is owning a young person, is that the correct term?
0: I think so. (laughs) I mean, you own a cat, right?
1: Listen, Dad Jr. doesn't have anything to say about it, so...
2: (laughs) (laughs) So talking about that, like, like not really knowing about the reception of uh, uh, I want your sex at uh, at camp, I did something like that in church when I was a kid. So I grew up in a uh, my family was, was very religious. Um, I, where I, we were supposed to draw uh, Jesus and a bunch of people around him who were disapproving of them, of him. And then uh, uh, say, you know, what, what what were these people saying about Jesus, right? Uh-huh. And I was probably about seven or eight and um, I had heard the word slut, but I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> and so I, I drew all these people saying, Jesus is such a slut. <laughs> wow. It, it it didn't go over super well. <laughs> I, I, I thought it meant like a, he's a bad person. He's a, yeah, whatever, which says a lot about, uh, I guess... Uh, uh, how promiscuous women are viewed in society. But uh, um, yeah, as a kid, I had no idea it had anything to do with sex or even women. So. Do
0: you still have that? Is that something what? that you could like frame and put up in your house?
1: No. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I wish. There's a Robert Browning poem from 1841. I just looked this up because I couldn't remember the details where he uses uh, twat as a because he thought it was an item of nun's clothing. <laughs> So he <laughs> pairs it up with <laughs> cowls and twats. But he also <laughs> rhymes it with bats, so he thinks it, it rhymes with-, with bats.
2: Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, sure. Twats. Yes, of
1: course.
0: I picked up a copy of Moby Dick because at some point I was, like, pretentious enough to think that I was going to read all of the great pieces of literature. <laughs> <laughs> This is a long time ago, Um, and I think Moby Dick is actually where I stopped, because, like, if you read the first ten pages of it, it's some of the best writing you're ever going to encounter, and then the rest of it is total garbage, and there's, like...
1: Is it just, like, talking about the details of running a whaling boat?
0: Um, no, that would be fine. I don't remember what it is, honestly. Like, there's a lot of... There are a lot of, like, songs and poems to the whale and to stuff and there are people singing on the boat about nothing. And then there's the guy thinking about the whale. But it's a great white whale. And the way that Melville writes it, like he uses like imagery like the obsidian whale, the whale of ebony and stuff. and it's because it was a long time ago. He didn't have the internet or any way to sort of like look up what obsidian and ebony were. You know, or the fact that they were black and not white. So like there are just a lot of like literary mistakes uh, in the book. And then it kind of devolves from there. I actually didn't get through it. It's like too big a book to commit a lot of time to unless you're forced to read it for your graduate program or something. Yeah, it ruined me.
1: (laughs) If only it had more mistakes in it, then it would at least be entertaining.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not as good as calling Jesus a slut, but it's probably got more staying power overall.
2: (laughs) Do you do you think he meant to say alabaster? Because that one's often used.
0: He might have also said alabaster. I mean, there are a lot of descriptions. Uh, I don't know. Get yourself a copy of Moby Dick if you're looking for something to read. Thanks.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's a classic. Enjoy. I've
2: I've been told that's explicitly impossible.
1: (laughs) Are you guys ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Uh, Erica, your topic is no one should live in this city.
0: Oh, God. No one should live in this city.
1: So tell us what city you're referring to. I
0: live in Tucson, Arizona. And um, there are a lot of good things about Tucson, Arizona. And actually, Dan has uh, visited me and my husband, David, uh, in Tucson um, and can verify many of the things that I'm saying. Um, Tucson is a place with amazing food. It's beautiful. The desert is wonderful. It's very diverse. There's a lot of kind of unusual landforms around here, and it's very different than the rest of the United States. Like, it's, it's more different than anywhere I've ever lived in the United States. Um, But it comes with, like, consequences, which are, like, our house doesn't have scorpions, but you can have scorpions in your house. The first season that we moved here, I was standing outside because it was nice and sunny, and, like, this tiny little gnat flew down onto my hand, stung me, and flew away. And then there was, like, a period of eight months where, like, there was a patch that died on my hand, And was like itchy for months because of this tiny little gnat.
1: Wait, gnat sting?
0: I don't know what it was. It must've been like a micro wasp or something.
1: A tiny hornet.
0: Yeah. I'm friends with somebody who studies stinging things and like, he doesn't even know what this (laughs) is. Right.
1: You can, you can publish.
0: Right. (laughs) I think that's true. So in, in,
2: In Central America, they have these things they call chitras, which, uh, I don't know exactly how to say chitras, but uh, they're they're invisibly small and they sting. I've never heard of it lasting that long, though.
0: It it was incredible. I still have a scar from it. Like, if you hold my hand up in the right light, like, you can see this, like, area of, like, cell death, basically, because of this sting. Um, So those are the tiny things, right? You go outside, something can murder you but like the bigger things like snakes and rattlesnakes and stuff are kind of prevalent but also like the biodiversity is dependent on this like weird water cycle so there are like monsoons and we have like two seasons of rain that doesn't sound bad or anything but when the monsoon comes it comes all at once so it drowns everything and the Mm. Result is that the soil has developed into this thing called caliche, which is like concrete. And you can't really dig into it very well at all. So there are no sewage pipes here. Or like there are sewage pipes, but there's no like big area for storm drains to go in. There are no storm drains in Tucson. If water runs down the street, it just runs down the street into like a dry riverbed. So when the monsoon comes, the water rises four feet in the streets and is funneled down from the mountains on particular roads. So if you're driving and you can't get off the road, your car will be up to water, up to the windshield. And you can see these like massive, like barrels of garbage, like floating past you. And you just have to like get your car somewhere and wait for hours until the water goes down. This is like, this is the weirdest fricking place in the whole world. (laughs) And like, you know, you try to explain this to somebody and they're like, do you live in a developing country? And it's like, no, it's just that the water is too much and like all at once and we can't do anything about it because the soil is weird. And like, I love biodiversity and I love like interesting landforms and landscapes and stuff like that but nobody should live here.
1: Nobody needs that much aqua diversity.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not a place for humans.
1: <laughs> Maybe if you built the entire city on stilts.
0: I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's totally bizarre. And like, it's so hot. It's May... 5th or May 6th today, and it was like 105 degrees today. It's been like 100 all week, and it's just gonna get hotter. Over the summer, it gets so hot here that, like, you can't touch the doorknob to go out, because the doorknob will burn you. And, like, (laughs) we're kinda, we've been inside for a while, we're gonna be inside this summer, so we're trying to, like, dust everything, because when you go outside in the summer, I don't know, like, I've been out trying to like water plants when it's like 117 and basically like almost passed out, um, within like a couple of minutes. Like it happens real fast. Your body temperature just rises in the sun.
1: Can you put up like a tarp?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, we're already past the time where we could prepare for the summer.
1: No, I'm just in general though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean like, or you can stay inside, like, right. You know,
1: like I imagine when you live in a place like that, you rely incredibly heavily on AC. That's right. Yeah. Um, in your house and also in your car. But like, how do you even get into a car?
0: You can't. You can't. I mean, like my car, uh, some people have like places that they can put their car under something. But when I get into my car, it's like 180 degrees in there. So I have to like open it with a cloth and like let the hot air seep out <laughs> a little bit. And then All you right. can't like touch oh. the steering wheel or like the... Um, the seat buckle or anything like that, because all of those things will burn you. And in fact, we were driving back um, and I had the seat buckle next to me and it's already starting to like burn. So you have to just kind of like move around like a rat, you know, like you get up at four, (laughs) you kind of move around for a little while and then you stop moving around. And then you can go out like when the sun has gone down, you start like peeking your nose back out. Like, is it safe? Is it safe to go outside? <laughs> so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make a bid for people not to live in Tucson because it's a it's crowded and it's like in some ways it's very bad.
1: <laughs> what, what about what about other cities? Like, is this just a blanket statement about Arizona in general? What about like Sedona?
2: It's most of the southwest,
1: right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean Sedona's a lot cooler than here. So Sedona, Sedona's up in the mountains. Um mm. yeah, I mean Sedona's probably a good like twenty or thirty degrees cooler than here on average.
1: That's that's huge.
2: <laughs> does it does it cool down at night there?
0: Um mostly. Yeah. Really, really deep in the summer it'll still be like ninety degrees at night, which is just too yeah, much. right. too many degrees, you know.
2: Yeah, I growing up in Oklahoma, like it would get really hot during the day and, and it, at night it would cool down two degrees or something like that. It'd be like <laughs> Yeah, like in the middle of the night, you you can you can hardly go out. It's just awful. Yeah. Like here you've got to rely so I'm in Okinawa and here you've got to rely on air conditioning. I mean it's it's hot. It's extremely humid, but the thing is, like, you've got to have AC on uh, quite often just to keep, like, basically the jungle from invading your house. Like, mold will grow on stuff in about fifteen minutes if you're not very careful, and um, fruit flies will just attack anything that's left that, that sits still for, for 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 very long. It's it's pretty it's pretty awful.
0: You're fortunate though, because like in the rest of Japan, even like public transport just has fans. Almost like, you know, like those big rotating fans, like not everything has central air conditioning. So you're lucky that you have something.
2: On the other hand, they have public transport. (laughs) (laughs) Okinawa is like the one big part of Japan that I'm aware of where it's like we've got buses that will take you three hours to get downtown, but we don't have any trains or anything like that. Yeah. Wow. It's
1: like living in the U.S.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's like, I, I'm like, I, I, I live in Frankfurt. I'm, I'm moving here uh, shortly, but I, I, I live in Frankfurt and there it's like, you can get from anywhere to anywhere else with, uh, you know, a, a day pass um, that costs like five euros and it's super easy and, and the train's leaving every three minutes or something. And, and here it's like, no, you, you walk or you drive and that's it. Basically.
0: Would you suggest that people live in Okinawa? Uh,
2: Well, for some reasons, yes. But uh, for a lot of the reasons you list, there's a lot of similar stuff here, like in terms of venomous things. I mean, if you go like it's it's absolutely I mean, you've got uh, these incredible coral reefs. You've got this great sort of subtropical uh, uh, jungle going on. So if you like plants, if you like wildlife, it's amazing. But all the wildlife here is trying to kill you, basically. We've got the the, the venomous snakes, uh, which are, are still common, But also, like, if you go tide pooling, there's like, I don't know, 50 different species of cone snails, 20 of which can send you to the hospital or kill you. We've got stonefish, which are just like a cruel joke that nature has played on us because they're they're utterly invisible. Uh, they are the most venomous fish in the world. It's supposed to be one of the most painful ways you can die. And they will hang out in water that literally doesn't even entirely cover them. So there'll be this this... <laughs> Thing that to all ex- you know, uh, um, external appearances is a rock that should be perfectly fine to step on, and you step on it, and you go to the hospital and possibly die in one of the most painful ways possible, and that's just nature being a jerk. And then of course we have got blue ring octopus. We've got, yeah, we've got all sorts of nasty jellyfish. So it's absolutely, I mean, just stunningly beautiful, and all of it's trying to murder you. Anyway, we lived in Australia for five years, and Australia sort of has that reputation. But in Australia, I think we probably saw deadly venomous things maybe once every three to six months. Here, any trip to the seashore, uh, uh, you see a dozen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do you wear Do you wear the little booties to get in the water?
2: You know it. Yeah. And we don't <laughs> – yeah, I don't even go snorkeling without like a, a, a dive skin and stuff like that because of the, the jellyfish and stuff. I mean, it's – it's, it's terrifying. It is, but it's also beautiful. And so, it's like, yeah, it's uh, – you know, you still got to get in anyway because you don't want to miss out. But at the same time, I've, I do a lot of diving for my research and stuff like that. And, you know, people are like, well, how do you get over being afraid of sharks and all that sort of stuff? I'm like, well, if you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> I still find the ocean terrifying. It's also just fascinating enough that I'm I'm it's worth getting in.
1: Yeah. So I live in the Bay Area and we have programmers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, Jim, you got to get out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's not safe. <laughs> <laughs> Which like I I definitely resent all the programmers around here largely because of gentrification, but also I get along with them really easily. So like so like when I was looking for a job and after we found out April was pregnant, one of the places I interviewed was at Google. And the whole time I was like, if I get this job, I'm going to really going to have to practice my self-compassion. <laughs> 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 I do not want to work here. And yet like everybody I met was extremely personable and like just instantly clicked because we're like the hacker culture is a, is a thing for sure. And I'm definitely of it. At least, at least, or at least was in the past, uh, and so like it's really easy for me to make fast friends with a lot of the people here. But I also kind of resent them because they they are representative of like this is the Bay Area is like in San Francisco, San Francisco specifically is like the I believe it's the place in the United States and maybe the world with the biggest disparity in like quality of living, the, the huge homeless population and huge population of billionaires.
0: I, yeah, I guess you feel that all the time. I was thinking you would probably talk about like the wildfires and the air quality, but that's like something that you don't think about when it's not going on, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that stuff's a bummer. That stuff's a bummer for sure. Like yeah. the, like how um, the power company shut off the power because they can't keep the lines clear of trees,
0: right? Well, that was fun. yeah, it's like a wind thing also. I mean, like all of the wildfires oh, there right. yes. are wind yes. driven. So they don't want to be responsible for like more big blowouts, you know, causing massive wildfires. But I used to work with fire. Like I used to um, do prescribed fire and like I've, yeah. in- I've inhaled a bunch of smoke and I kind of like it, you know, like it's is tasty. And like there are phases <laughs> of smoke, right? There's like new smelling smoke and you can tell the difference when something is like grass or trees or if pines are on fire or in, in California you can tell the difference between like chaparral or grass fires just by smell. And I, I went back to the Bay area after, after the uh, campfire, like the big one that affected paradise And they Mm -hmm. were having sort of the fallout of that thing. And that was like an old smoke that I had never encountered before. And I was the person who couldn't breathe. I was the person who needed the mask. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, like I didn't expect that at all. Like I always thought I was pretty robust to smoke. But the new smoke has like a lot of water in it. Are you sure you're
2: not just being a hipster about it?
0: (laughs) Just Artisanal
2: smoke that's right <laughs> you're, just, you're just being very performatively off put by this smoke <laughs> this isn't as good as the smoke you get where I'm yeah, from
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah the, last, uh, the last fire here we, um, we we got an air purifier we got a, a couple of them actually because like having a, I think he was around one year old at that time um, and our house is kind of drafty so like we were getting a lot of smoke inhalation in the house so we had an air purifier running at all times and like when the power went out and we couldn't do that, Winston just woke up coughing and couldn't get back to sleep. We ended up staying in a hotel. It was a real bummer. Oh my God. Oof. Yeah.
0: Did the hotel have power?
1: Uh, yes, because it was only our part of town that had power out.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> wow.
1: And we haven't used the fireplace in our house since then because April just like, she gets triggered by the smell of smoke.
0: Yeah.
2: I believe it. Oh, I just actually—I I just remember the the real reason why no one should live here, and it's the the lack of cheese.
1: <laughs> oh, that's such, such a bummer.
2: <gasps> yeah, there's just almost no cheese in Okinawa, and what you can find is incredibly expensive. Yeah, it's—I mean, so people when we go to Europe or we go to America, like we always we literally like bring back a suitcase full of cheese because we want it, and everybody we know wants it as well. It's uh,
0: that is so illegal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no, it's no cheese cheese is legal. We can bring we can bring cheese. We can't bring meat, but we can bring cheese.
0: Huh, I thought like dairy and like moldy dairy were super illegal. I don't pretend to understand
2: it, but but as far as I know they're not. Like customs has seen our big bags of cheese and they've been like, yeah, okay, whatever. People are always doing this. I mean, they they rolled their eyes at us, <laughs> but it seems to be allowed.
0: So you can get pretend versions of American food in Okinawa because there are so many yeah. American soldiers there that, like, you could get taco rice, you know, like taco rice. And that, yeah, that's... that, I think, has like a version of cheese on top sometimes.
2: It does. So, And you can get that sort of like that American, very processed cheese. You can get that. But if you want a good cheese, man, you're, I mean, you, there is actually, so there's this old Scottish dude in, uh, in Okinawa who's called the Cheese Guy who looks like, <laughs> he looks like if Gandalf put on some weight. Basically, he's got a long gray beard. And-
1: if Gandalf really likes cheese,
2: exactly.
0: If Gandalf <laughs> were really smuggling is. hobbits, <laughs> yeah,
2: right. <laughs> he he makes really good cheese, but it's like it's like a, a it's like about ten dollars for a hundred grams of cheese, so a uh-huh. hundred bucks a kilo. Oh my <laughs> god. It's not a, It's not cheese that you're going to be able to just sort of sit down and and uh, uh, you know put on a sandwich or something like that. It's like you're, it's cheese you got to sit down and appreciate. But uh, yeah, that sort of mid range cheese that you're used to and take for granted is absent here. Yeah,
1: it's hard. I had a couple of friends who stayed in Japan for a while, and they were talking about how much better the rice is there.
2: It's different. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a big – a good variety of it. Is it like a strain of rice that is just tastier that they only grow in Japan –
2: So yeah, so there's a lot of short grain rices here which are nice and sticky and all that sort of stuff. And they're very good to use for sushi or kind of anything else where you want the rice to sort of be cohesive. Um, My understanding is actually some of the world's best long grain rices are actually from California. So even your connoisseurs in like Japan who want to like a a basmati or something like that will often end up buying uh, Californian rice. But for a short grain rice – Short-grain rice, you go Japan, yeah.
0: I think, though, that, that the um, the real difference between the rice in Japan and the rice elsewhere is, like, there really is some different, like, microbiota on the rice mm-hmm. that, um, like, if you're not used to it, it's not really digestible to you. Like, you have to mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. in Japan for a really long time to get your body to be able to digest, especially the rice, because the rice is, like, basically in almost everything. Yeah. And like, it's not, it's not like a different species. It's not, I don't even think it's a different variety than the one that's grown in California. It's just got like a different microbiome and like all, all of the food requires you to kind of like change over your microbiome. And it's almost like an illness that you have to go through to accept that new version of food but like the japanese laws are really 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 strict about allowing in anything that might change this this is why i was thinking that the cheese was so illegal
1: yeah but but they don't have cheese to to corrupt over there so (laughs) like
0: everything is rice like sake is rice you know so any form of alcohol is probably rice based for the most part um like A lot of stuff is based on rice dregs. Um, Rice goes into different kinds of, like, pickles to form the thing that helps them ferment. And, like, Japanese cuisine, especially in Kyoto, has, like, a lot of pickled things, like pickled daikon and pickled pickled cabbages and stuff like that. And, like, all of that stuff is based on this that you just can't create outside of japan because it's like the local thing just like if you go to europe you know you can get that that one cheese there and they can't infect the cave where that (laughs) cheese is made like in japan it's all about fermenting soybeans and fermenting rice and like they can't corrupt that process
1: it's a very delicate
2: I've actually had a few experiments with with wild yeast and, uh, you know, doing different things with them. And it's always a lot of fun. But, like, in the place we lived in in Australia, which is sort of like um, two hours north of Sydney on the coast, anything I did with wild yeast tasted incredibly bad. It was like – like, I tried to make injera using wild yeast, and it literally tasted like if someone turned vomit into a pancake. (laughs) It was just – Offensively bad. It's really interesting, like that. That's sort of like localized strain of yeast. So that's also supposedly why why uh, San Francisco has the best sourdough in the world. I and mean, it doesn't matter what you do with the recipe; uh, uh, you just don't have the same quite strains of yeast anywhere else as you have in, in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, I make. Um, I know Jim doesn't like pickles, but I I make like a zillion different kinds of fermented foods at home.
1: Well, pickles are fine.
0: I, I thought you <laughs> hated pickles.
1: Uh, you might be thinking of a different gym
0: didn't you, like you said that mayonnaise was fine and pickles were terrible. And I I think I've never disagreed with you on something <laughs> so much, but I don't know. I make jardinera. I make like fermented tomatoes. I make kombucha. Like I make, you know, like I grow my own sprouts. I make my own kimchi. Like I make all kinds of things. And so like, you know, I make, things that exist and they're alive and they bubble and they have to be like tended and they have to be sort of poked once in a while. But then if you get a really good batch of something, you don't want to throw out any like piece of anything because you might want to reuse that brine for something else. So I have all of these like reference vegetables in my fridge that, like, you know, this batch of Jardinera came out really well and that one did. So I'm going to save brine from each of them. And now it's just uh-uh. like a giant science experiment with like bubbling things. I and mean, we eat them, but it seems a little weird.
2: <laughs> so are you putting some of the brine in RNA later so that you can sequence them eventually? Or?
0: So there's a guy in our field um, named Richard Linsky who does this like professionally. Like he has some little group of organisms, like a yeast, I guess, um, that, you know, has been through like 70,000 generations and he like, will let it divide and then freeze some of it as like a reference and then let it divide. And then, you know, you can compare the old- versions to new v- versions. So he's looking at, like, microevolution. And when they hit, like, 69,000 generations, he put, like, big nice. signs in I'm his sorry. window. And on Twitter, he was like, nice! <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm like, the chef version of Richard Lenski.
2: <laughs> so, uh, uh, Erica, you said you'd, you'd, you'd had that taco rice before. Did you have taco sushi when you were here?
0: No. No, no.
2: That's a, that's a very... That's, that's a hilarious thing, because it's like... Like the, the the sort of Americans brought the taco flavor, which turned into taco rice. But in the uh, the you know the sort of Japanese culture, turned it into taco rice sushi, which is a thing you can get in all the convenience stores here. So it's like a yeah, it's like a, a roll with nori around rice, which is wrapped around taco meat and that fake cheese. And it's oh just, my god, it's the most insane thing. That's it's, terrible. It's like a, isn't isn't taco octopus?
0: Oh, taco Yeah. Oh, there's
2: taco yaki. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Taco with a K is octopus.
0: It would it would be different characters if you wrote it down. It would be different characters. It would yeah. not yes. be tacos. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you could have a taco taco. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Are you guys ready for another topic?
0: Sure. Sure. Uh,
1: so my topic is uh, toddlers have incredible memories, and if you put something somewhere once because you were lazy, they'll remember it goes there forever. So this this the example that I'm thinking of is when I would read to my kid, uh, I would just put the book on the floor because. I didn't want to get up and put it on the bookshelf and we'd read the next book. And eventually he just realized like, oh yes, books go on the floor in this one spot. So, whenever he finished with the book, he just put it there. Huh. <laughs> and what this means is that I have to be incredibly diligent every time I like I'm done with something, I have to go put it away. So, he learns how to put things away.
0: I don't have a toddler, but this basically to a T describes my husband. so I don't think I don't think that people actually outgrow this. I don't think this is like toddler specific. Yeah,
2: I don't think so either. Still stuff i I, I think is is uh, uh, is cool just because I liked it when I was a teenager, so
1: <laughs> I like I will I will definitely I think everybody picks up on patterns over time, but like the the danger of a toddler is that their mind is so absorbent. That, right. That you you can just make this mistake once and they'll be like, oh yes, here's where it goes. And similarly to how like I know the entire cast of Full House and will for the rest of my life.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's just burned in there.
1: Yeah.
0: When I was a kid, we had traveled to London and my dad bought um like a toy. It was a metal double-decker bus that was about four inches high and maybe about six or eight inches long to give to my little cousin Sam. And so Sam was like Probably two, you know, maybe two and a half. So we brought the toy to him and my dad gave the toy to Sam, but it was on its side. So my dad placed it upright and then pushed it forward to show that it could roll. And Sam took it and then put it on its side and scraped it along the concrete. And we were all, like, (laughs) totally horrified. And my dad was like, no, he learned that you have to turn it before it moves. Like, this isn't normal.
1: Oh, wow, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's
0: not just being, it's not a toddler being horrible. It's that he, like, learned something really fast.
1: (laughs)
2: Yep. It's like a yeah. It's like a like a deep neural net when you've got biased input data or something like that. It it, it, it hooks onto something that has nothing to do with the 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 thing you're actually trying to get it to learn.
0: Do you think I could go to the people who are trying to design, like, self-driving cars and tell them the story about my cousin Sam? And they would, like, be like, oh, shit, we're in trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, they already know they're in trouble.
2: Yeah. Uh, one would hope. Yeah. There's a spreadsheet of all the ways that uh, uh, deep learning has failed. It's called um, Specification Games. Like, if, if if y'all haven't seen that, you should check it out. It's fascinating reading. So, we're like, people try to, to, to develop an AI that uh, can detect... Uh, um which skin lesions are gonna turn into cancer. And instead they accidentally develop an AI that can detect whether or not there's a ruler in a photograph. Oh fantastic.
0: Like I that. need that. It's, I
2: need that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I should send it to you.
1: I don't know if it's the same spreadsheet, but I linked to a spreadsheet just like that once and it went viral on Twitter. And oh, really? everybody and like everybody followed me like they thought I made it. Oh, <laughs> I just thought it was neat, guys. Yep, <laughs> I just shit post about making video games, right?
2: Yeah, I, I I talk, I end up talking about deep learning a lot and stuff, and I I, I draw on that spreadsheet just constantly because there's so many just kind of terrifying and kind of hilarious stories and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, off the
1: top of my head, my favorite example from the one I saw was it was it was like a physical model of a, an organism. And Mm. tasked with evolving an organism organism that moves really quickly, it would grow them really tall and then they would fall over at high speed.
0: Oh, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, that was good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Uh, one of the ones I love is the uh, um, they tried to develop an AI that uh, could play Tetris. And uh, what it learned to do is just pause the game. Because if you pause the game, you never lose.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: Yeah, simple. Yeah, we're doomed. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It's like you you wonder how much of this stuff has actually shipped in production
1: systems. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, This is a write-in. Kaz asks, you guys talked about simulating people's voices, and I'd like to point out there's been a lot of progress in this area, and then links to some examples, which I will put in the show notes, but we can just talk about simulating voices.
0: I would like to point out that I did not actually discuss this topic.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, I believe they were talking about a previous episode of this show.
0: (laughs) <laughs> All hail the previous topic lords.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess I should have probably held this one back for when the, that that exact same pair of guests was on again.
2: Uh, well, yeah, I, th- I think this is here. Yeah, I, I I had mentioned liking this question, so I think this is this may be my fault. But like, I so I've done a few of these projects, and I mean, a lot of people are, uh, other people have as well, where you sort of take existing. Uh, uh, audio, existing text, spoken word text, and you reassemble it into something other than the original intent. Um, so like Cassette Boy or like some of Negative Land stuff or the Evolution Control Committee. And it's it's interesting to think about that kind of art form, which has been around for 30, 40 years uh, at least, in the context of like, well, now we can just make whoever we want say whatever we want. And it's like, well, that used to be a lot of work and that used to be most of the art. And now it's just, you don't even... Yeah, I, I I so I have projects that where I've literally spent like three or four years putting together a sample library.
0: Did you put one of these? You have a SoundCloud. You should link to your SoundCloud. But like, did you do oh, one sure. of these with Obama or was it Clinton yes. or something?
2: No, it's Obama. Yeah, so I I did this thing where I I took apart uh, Obama's autobiography and turned it into this story about this uh, demigod with the head of a dog oh, right. who, who recreates the world after the apocalypse. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It, it got a lot of so it's this thing I did while I was in grad school, and um, I I actually got a lot of press off of it. So got to be famous for a week. That was fun, but uh, but now it's like you could literally just sit down and type the thing. And I spent I spent years putting this thing together. <laughs> it's like oh, so it's it's sort of like I guess how a lot of visual artists felt when we started seeing things like Illustrator and
1: Photoshop and things like that. It's like okay, or even like what painters feel about photographs. Yeah. <laughs> so how how long was this uh was this this myth you constructed?
2: It's about 35 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a ton of work.
2: Yeah, and what I say is it so it took me 4 years, but that was like, you know, working an hour a night maybe or a few sure. hours a week, you know. Um Yeah, but I did a more recent one with uh, you know, the podcaster Dan Carlin. Yeah, um, you know he he does all this hardcore history and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I did one where I took apart a whole bunch of hardcore history and uh, made this story about uh, Donald Trump declaring himself to be the Messiah and uh, in- instituting mandatory polygamy, so people had to have sex in the streets, and then it devolved into
0: cannibalism. I see. So your so your work is like prescient. That
2: started off before he was even the candidate. And it seemed hilarious at the time. And now I go back and I look at it and I'm just like, this is just depressing. And I don't want to watch my own thing because it's just like reality has gotten, if anything, dumber than this satire uh, from four years ago. So anyway.
0: When you, when you leave Okinawa – you can move straight to the Bay Area and join the programmer culture. Tell them your stories, and they will accept you as one of their own.
2: <laughs> it's just interesting to me that this this sort of art form that I've been like really active in. Is like I, I I'm not arguing against the voice synthesis stuff, but it's just like it's about to be o- obsoleted by uh progress in this in this area. So
1: yeah, well, and, and we're. Entering a period of history where it's going to become much, much harder to believe any documentation of any recorded fact.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Right. Exactly. And and the, the thing about that is like, it's from the point of view of someone who's trying to understand what's going on, that becomes very challenging, but it also becomes the perfect out for someone who's done something crappy that they don't want people to know about. Right? Yep. They could say it was all faked and get away with it pretty easily.
0: It's all pretty weird as a scientist, too, because, like, you know, like, we spend a lot of time trying to identify birds. There are, like, I don't know, something like 30 species of basically unidentifiable flycatchers here. Like, they're all here. They're all in southern Arizona. You know, we have kingbirds. We have flycatchers. We have myurcus birds. We have embidonax, like... They're all pretty subtle, and they require you to spend an enormous amount of time trying to, like, examine where something is a little bit yellow in certain lights. And the birds don't really cooperate. They have different postures a little bit. They have slightly different kind of behavior sets that you would might, you might think of as like a personality or something. But like, if you don't understand that people can know that stuff, you would never be able to determine whether somebody had expertise to tell you that something is an Acadian flycatcher versus a different kind of flycatcher. And like, science is really based on being able to know things concretely or being able to engage in the discussion about why something is something or why it isn't something else. When you're trying to determine something, you have to basically gauge the expertise level of the person that you're talking to and figure out if they know a little bit more than you do or they're just in the process of learning and they're offering some opinion on something. Like All of that is the process of developing that kind of expertise. But like to have people just be like, oh, all information is fake or (laughs) like people won't people won't even understand that stuff is knowable. And I I feel like it's we're like sort of headed back in some ways to kind of a dark ages where, you know, maybe there will be like a core few people who understand that things can be known in a certain way um but like generally people are going to think that things come down into like how well you argue something or how angry you can get about things or whatever and that's that's not knowledge at all
1: I have to hope that the ability to know and understand the world will provide enough of an advantage that you like that one culture will dominate just via that advantage
0: What is the advantage of knowing Exactly how to identify a willow flycatcher from its particular beak snap.
1: Now you tell me. You're the. (laughs) I'm not sure.
0: I don't know.
2: Uh, this is uh, this is a thing I, I think as a scientist myself I struggle with a lot, which is like uh, I have a lot of things that I am deeply deeply interested in that I think the world will be better if we knew this. But then uh, when you go to explain your work to uh, another person or to write a grant proposal, like the number one question is who gives a shit? And you have to be able to answer that, and it's really hard sometimes. Yeah. Like I think it's the most fascinating thing in the world.
1: Yeah. I do. I do think there's also a f- the factor of like where technology, especially computer technology, has brought us is a place that a lot of people I think are unhappy with, and so I think there's a growing sense in the world that maybe progress isn't all good. Maybe knowledge yeah. isn't enti- like maybe we should skip out on some of this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I had a, an interesting uh, conversation with this uh, – I, I was at a, a film festival and I ended up talking to this dude about this sort of idea that, you know, there's a sci-fi trope that there, there's – we get this to this level where AIs become smart enough that they sort of take off and destroy humanity or whatever. Right. And the, like the, the the real joke is that actually they don't have to be that smart. They just have to exploit us where we're exceptionally stupid. <laughs> um and we've already done that, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> it's like we've essentially, you know, what what it actually it takes four lines of code to actually screw up society. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting too because like I I do listen to Topic Lords sometimes, and this is maybe a little navel gazy but there there are a lot of people who are very concerned about technology, or who are producing technology, or who are very like um, kind of like tech knowledgeable and tech focused, you don't have like a lot of naturalists on your program. And it's very, it's very hard to exist in that same space where like, you know, like Dan is talking about, like when you're writing a grant, they want to know like, why is this interesting? They also want to know like, who is this going to help? And like, basically it comes down to like, we need to do this as scientists because this is what science is. Like, I'm not going to pretend like this is going to help people, In general, like this is just the process of gathering knowledge so that we can build something with it later or understand what it is that we're interfering with. There's
1: a there's a trust there that like someday someone's going to want to know this.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, for some things, it's essential, right? But not everything. Like, (laughs) Not everybody has Mm -hmm. to know.
2: I also think, like, like to me, uh, I, I think there's an argument to be made that it's even if it never becomes useful, it's worth being made for its own sake, just like art or music or something like that. I mean, you sort of sure, think, sure, too, yeah. Yeah, like societies that we know from from history, you know, uh Greece and Rome and, and stuff like that. Like we don't actually know much. I mean, well, I don't know much personally about their business people, big magnet, but we have the 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 intellectual tradition we inherit from them is their legacy over a long enough time scale, basically. And I think it's it's worth a society investing in that legacy.
0: So I would I would love to be part of a society where like people were sort of instead of like you know, discussing the latest TV show or, you know, Elon Musk's terrible tweets or something. It was just like a whole bunch of competitive birders and like, you know, your problems in the world were basically like you can't compete with like birder C3A, you know, in section two, four or something. You know, yeah, if hmm. if we're going to get techie about it, it's still it's still very much about, collecting knowledge about the natural world, you know.
1: I would say for about 5 years when I was on Twitter from like, I don't know, 2008 to 2013 maybe, I kind of felt like I had that culture surround like in the people I followed surrounding me of except it was for game developers. It was for people talking about like cool shit about video games and about making video games and in the past five years, it's kind of pivoted over to like, let's all scream about what's happening in the world. And then also Elon Musk's kid is a <laughs> bunch of Greek letters. Right. <laughs> and I wonder like, can I just find like a a web forum and log in and chat about a topic there to people and not have other stuff butt in because like, I remember doing that in like 2004. And that was cool.
0: You should start a, start a podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and and never talk about depressing things.
0: <laughs> You're talking to scientists. It's unavoidable. <laughs> it is.
1: Yeah. I think a certain
2: level of existentialism is is uh, is is built into the, who who we are.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. We drifted on that one. Oh, it's ants. Yeah. Erica, your topic is ants.
0: So I've been taking a lot of local walks. And um, one of the things that we have in our neighborhood, like it's a suburban area, is leafcutter ants. So um, I think they're acromyrmex, but um, they build these enormous underground chambers. And they're the cute ones that like climb up trees and cut leaves and then climb back down and then bury the leaves underground and grow some kind of fungus. And a, like maybe three blocks away, our neighbor has them. And I really want to put them in our yard, but I don't <laughs> know that they're going to give us permission to like go dig up the queen. So you you would have to go dig in this.
1: But you can't dig in, in Tucson anyway. Yeah,
0: I know. But the ants, <laughs> like they know how to do it, right? Like they know how to move soil around. They're incredible. But you would have to, so you have to get into this Nest and so we're friends with um this guy in Texas who is an expert in these ants, and he did most of his dissertation work and his later work on these species of leafcutter ants. And he has like gone and you dig about like four feet down, um, and then you have to find the queen, and the queen is like one of these ants that's like a little bit fatter and then you have to move the queen and some of the fungus over to like a new area for them to colonize but I really want these ants in my backyard so I can watch them and like maybe study them because like I'm a field biologist and I can't go outside so I want these ants in my yard. Unfortunately like I'm super allergic to wasp stings which I've discovered in the past years and ants are wasps like they're taxonomically or like phylogenetically they're nested within wasps so they like they yeah they're wasps that's That's incredible incredible. they sting you and they sting you a lot and like after the rains here um p.s nobody should live here they climb up on you (laughs) from the yard and like they will bite or not bite but like sting the bejesus out of your ankles and i've been like I've been waylaid by these stings because, like, I have such a strong response to them.
1: So I've been bitten by fire ants. No, not I bitten. Assume, you've I been it was stung. A bite, but
0: yeah, it's, you've been stung. So they will they will bite you but. with their mandibles and hang on. But yeah. that's just a hang on to get their stinger into your skin.
1: What a bunch of assholes! Yeah, they're a
0: bunch of assholes, right?
1: <laughs> but but also there are an, a huge... Like I've interacted with many many kinds of ants that do not harm me. Yeah. They just hang out.
0: Yeah, I know. Those are the good ones. <laughs>
1: but those are also wasps, technically.
0: They're, they're all wasps, yeah. Are they not invasive there? The, not the leafcutter ants.
2: Okay, because there's invasive leaf leafcutters in the southeast.
0: Invasive leafcutters? No, you're thinking of yeah. fire ants.
2: No, no, no. There's invasive leafcutters. They moved into Texas.
0: Oh, in Texas. Oh, you're thinking of um, uh, Adam. Texas,
2: they're, they're moving east. Yeah, Adamicies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, got some deep nerd shit there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's okay. Yeah, ants are like moving around. Like whatever happens to us, like ants will still be here, and they're just totally fascinating. Um, the not every type of ant has a queen. Some of them have something. Now this is gonna like trigger alarm bells for your people, but like they don't have a queen system. They have a group of like sisters who mate with males outside of their colony and they're not queens because they don't suppress the reproductive success of like the other ones. They're called (laughs) gates. This is like a nightmare for me because like I I do study ants like a tiny bit. (laughs) I don't want to like cross the streams. (laughs) Because I have a scientist feed and I have like a game developer feed and the two shall never cross. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i've definitely seen that joke oh really yeah although yeah and i recognized it as like oh yes this is an ant but i didn't know anything else about the joke
0: huh that's interesting oh that's funny yeah somebody must have picked up on that there's a project um by this scientist named walter schinkel which is really cool where he um this is a little bit cruel maybe but very interesting he like drives like a truck with like a smelter and pours wherever it is like he pours however much molten lead he needs to into these ant colonies and so for like all of like North America's ants um he has casts of their nests I want to do something like that because it's just so beautiful. It's like the, I don't want to harm the ants that I want to move into my yard, but I do want to like, um, kind of express the like real diversity and function of these like ant colonies. Like some of them go down like 12 feet and have lots of little tiny chambers. Yeah.
1: You can, you can fill it with jello. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, Then you have a tasty dessert. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's
1: a good idea. So last episode, my sister mentioned offhandedly um, a concept called utility monsters. Uh, and this comes from the philosophy of utilitarianism, where the idea is that like you can calculate how much value an act has to the people it affects and uh, use that calculation to maximize ethically, maximize your actions, maximize the utility of your actions. Hmm. And a utility monster is a person who gets way more value out of any given uh, asset than other people do so like if this person just really enjoys eating like a million times more than anybody else in the world they should just give all we should just give all the food to that person <laughs> and that would maximize the amount of enjoyment of food in the world
0: so my neighbors should give me their ants because they're not <laughs> utilizing them in any way
1: uh, well, what I was going to say was, like, the real utility monsters are the humans. <laughs> because this is how we treat the entire rest of the world is, like, the, the humans are the, like, humans would get more value out of having this leaden model of the pathways of an anthill than the ants get out of being alive. <laughs>
0: It's true. <laughs> We're monsters. We're utility monsters. Dan, you work with a a guy who studies ants. Have you have you branched into that world at all?
2: Um, I have not. Although I I probably will. So I'm actually I'm leaving Germany. I'm actually moving to Okinawa in about six months, um, and I will be in an ant lab. So awesome! I may I may end up doing more ant things. I've already got one or two ant papers. But uh Yeah, yeah. I was just in the middle. I was the, one of the modelers on it. But uh, yeah, I will be anting a lot more probably.
0: That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I will also probably be finally working on fish a lot more. Yeah, because I'll be in Okinawa. So.
1: All right, we have time for one more topic. Dan, your topic is Pokemon Stay. <laughs> What's happening to outdoorsy AR games these days?
2: Yeah, I just... So I... Uh, I haven't played Pokemon Go for a long time. I started playing it and, uh, uh, you know, when it first came out, played it for like a few weeks. And I was like, yeah, all right." But I came back to it when a colleague was visiting here in Okinawa a few months ago because we're actually we're working on a paper about the effects of climate change on Pokemon, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a ridiculous thing to do. But uh that's actually kind of the point. Um, so we're studying the effects of climate change on Pokemon. So I started playing Pokemon Go again right as the pandemic sort of kind of hit and encouraging people to walk around a whole lot uh, in public places and together in public places became um, kind of actively socially irresponsible. So it's just right. been interesting to see how, th- see how that game has dealt with, you know, this, which I think has been – they've done a, a, a decently good job of it. And just wondering like in general – You know, what does it sort of mean for those games that we may be, for a year or two, uh, discouraging people from walking around too much or gathering in public places? Do
0: the Pokemon, like, get overpopulated and kill each other and turn into (laughs) cannibals? Like, I've never played this game. I've watched people play it all the time because they, like, meander past me while I'm looking at birds. But...
2: No, there's clearly a localized carrying capacity. It never really gets above about I don't know six to ten Pokemon in one place. Do the
0: trainers call them or something? What happens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah,
2: I, yes, but uh, I suppose uh, once they reach a certain carrying capacity, they just
1: stop. Yeah, so I've been I've been playing Pokemon Go, and the changes that I have noticed are they now offer items for cheap in the shop. Like you can get a bunch if you if you don't can't get to a PokeStop, you can. Buy like a hundred red balls for one Poke Coin, which is yeah, wow, incredible deal. If you yeah. don't know what the what those what those are,
0: I assume ah. a Poke Coin is like a Bitcoin. So,
1: so it's about thirty thousand dollars. It's a good deal, <laughs> right? right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but they've also
2: enabled like long distance raiding and things yeah. like that recently.
1: But the, the the remote raid passes only work like if you can see something on your local map. So yeah. We have uh we do have a a gym within local raid dist or remote raid distance from our house but we would have to like coordinate with our neighbors in this suburb to right. <laughs> to all there are there are discords or whatever you can go to to organize raids but and I'm sure there are pokemon go players in the neighborhood but I bet there's not much overlap between those two things right like maybe we could do it on next door
2: Right, <laughs> that's a good idea. That's like I, I'm in the same spot. There's actually four or five gems I can see from where I am, but uh, uh, I don't speak Japanese, so uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> it's it's. And I think probably everyone else in the neighborhood who's playing it is ten years old. So right. Um.
0: <laughs> so explain this to me because like I haven't played this game because my phone was chiseled out of a rock basically, and I <laughs> don't have the capability, but. Um, like you have to communicate with people who you're doing this with. Like why, why would you have to speak Japanese? Isn't it just sort of like you catch something?
1: So the, the raid is a, a fight that takes multiple people to, to finish. And the only real coordination you need is to be in the same place at the same time. So like, I've totally just stumbled into raids where like, Oh, there's people gathering around this raid. I'll join in. You never talk to them, but a lot of the time what happens is that like people agree like, okay, let's meet at this spot and then I'll go fight this monster and then maybe we can capture it.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so my husband and I did a lot of like voter registration a couple of years ago,
2: which is like Pokemon go. It, yeah.
0: it, it is, but it's also <laughs> like
1: you, you throw the tennis balls at the voters. <laughs> you, you capture hearts and minds. Yeah. It's
0: a real way to see how disconnected you are from the youngins. Right. So like, You'd go over to a group of people and you would say, hey, is everybody registered to vote here? And they would say, we're doing a raid. And then you would say, what does that mean? And then they would <laughs> sort of laugh and ignore you. And then you would say, but are you registered to vote? And they would say, we're in a raid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is end scene. That's a very good right. <laughs> interaction.
0: I tend to be on the other side of this. I tend to be the person who can't be like dragged away from my video game. So it's like, it's very frustrating to me because like, I have no tolerance for either side. I have no tolerance for the people who interrupt <laughs> me in my games. And I have no tolerance for people who won't put down their games to like deal with something important.
1: I thought, I thought that the situation was going to be like, uh, someone comes up and asks you, are you registered to vote? And you'll say, I'm trying to identify this flycatcher." And they'll say, but are you registered to vote? And they'll say, I'm trying to identify this flycatcher. And then they walk away. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Now, birders are nasty. You don't want to interrupt them. We we were we were hot on the trail. There was a there was an ornithology conference in Tucson. So like our ornithologist friends were in town. We took them to Sabino Canyon, which is a hot spot, right, for birds. And we went and Like, me and my husband David and our friend Jay McKenty and this Princeton ornithologist were, like, behind this structure that had this very, very unusual flycatcher, and it flipped up into the air and it snapped its beak at us. We got kind of a look at it, and then it took off, and Jay took off after it. Anyway, we sort of cornered it near the structure, and this Audubon Society group of, like, 20 people came by, and... Jay was like, oh, no, they're going to chase it away. He's like, don't tell them what we're looking at. It was like this little (laughs) unmarked flycatcher. So they come by and they're kind of like shuffling along and they're like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, Western flycatcher.
1: Who we're
0: Western flycatcher. This story makes no sense to anybody who doesn't know flycatchers. But I basically said, common thing.
1: The most boring flycatcher. Yeah.
0: And somewhere along the tail end of the group, there was like a woman in her 60s who turned to me and said, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 and then like left with the group. And I was, like, shocked. Like, I will never forget.
1: (laughs) It's very... So, I have two questions. My first reaction is, shock that you chase down
0: birds. (laughs) Some of this is very active and kind of dangerous. Yeah.
1: Because birds could just fly away. They
0: could. And the fact that they don't means that you can see them.
1: (laughs) Okay. I mean, I can't refute that. Uh, and the other thing is, it seems really irresponsible to hold uh, a conference in Tucson unless it was like in the winter.
0: It was early, so ornithologists know what they're doing. So they organized this conference for like the first week of May, which at that point was not like 105 degrees during the day. Okay. But this is right. this is like peak bird season. Um, everything is here, just everything.
1: Fantastic. All right. Uh, we're going to have to shut this thing down, guys. <laughs> Erica, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
0: I am occasionally and sometimes too much on Twitter at YerrickTRB.
1: And Dan, if this is the thing that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Dan L. Warren. And I'm on SoundCloud at just uh, uh, Dan Warren. Yeah.
1: All right. Great. Thanks so much. And
2: then i that Obama thing is the first thing on my uh, spotlight, if, if anyone
1: wants to hear that. We're oh, going to link it yeah, in the show Yeah, I'm shedders. sure somebody's going <laughs> to really dig deep into that.
0: Cool. <laughs> thank you for having us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. thank, thank you very thank much. You, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for being on. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!